Much has been said about our sustainability challenges and why we must address them. This makes sense. Of course, we need to describe and understand a problem in order to suggest any solution. But there comes a time when knowledge about any problem and its solutions must evolve to also consider how to implement the proposed solutions. This includes understanding context, stakeholders, leverage points, system dynamics, and any possible constraints. All of this while managing immense complexity and avoiding unintended consequences that may actually reduce the impact of any solution. In this episode, we explore a promising approach to support experimentation and implementation of sustainable business models called sustainable business model patterns. You are listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, broadcasting from the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics at Lund University. This episode is hosted by Sophie Sandine Lompard and Stephen Curtis. Whether you are a manager or a consumer, a policymaker or a student, likely you see patterns everywhere you look. We can see patterns in nature and the symmetry of a leaf or the crashing waves of the sea. We can see patterns in how we communicate, for example, in how we greet each other with a handshake, structure a sentence or prepare a presentation. And we can see patterns in how businesses operate, for example, in how they design similar products, make advertisements, or generate revenue. A pattern is simply a repeating design or a reproducible sequence of events. But the specific type of pattern that we'll be talking about today is a pattern in the form of a solution to an enduring problem. Maybe you can relate to this type of pattern in the kitchen. When you add too much salt to a dish, what do you do? I often wonder this myself. Of course, there are several solutions to counteract this problem. You may add some sugar, milk, herbs, or lemon juice to balance the saltiness of the dish. Whether you choose a sweet, creamy, savory, or acidic ingredient depends on the type of dish you are making, right? The context is important. And we know to do this because the cooks before us have used this solution again and again in the form of a pattern to counteract the saltiness in a dish. Yeah, and uh, while the cooking analogy works well to understand the generalized problem-solution combination, I think it's important not to take the analogy too much further. Because patterns are not a recipe, but rather a template that must be adapted from one context to another, depending on the dish. We find these patterns in context from architecture, urban planning, medicine, and of course, business models. We'll talk a bit more about business model patterns later in the episode. But first, you may have noticed some patterns in our podcast episodes too. We are a monthly podcast where we communicate sustainability research to our audience with the hope to inform and inspire you to implement sustainability solutions in your own contexts. In each episode, we interview researchers who share knowledge about business, government, cities, and consumption. These four areas reflect our four research themes at the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics, abbreviated the IIIEE, located here at Lund University. 
And this knowledge usually takes the form of solutions, hence the name of the podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We think it is important to articulate actions and steps to address our sustainability challenges. And another pattern of this podcast is that we release nine episodes per podcast season following the academic calendar. So that means that this episode marks the final episode of our fourth season, and we will return next September with new episodes and a few new other surprises as well. But we will tell you more about this a little later in the episode. Soon, we will meet Florian Ludeke-Freund, Henning Breuer, and Lorenza Massa. They are researchers, educators, consultants, and experts in sustainable business models. They joined the podcast to discuss their new book called Sustainable Business Model Design. The book is the first to focus on sustainable business model innovation with a practitioner focus. They intend for the content of the book to be immediately useful for entrepreneurs, managers, designers, as well as policymakers. And they do this by describing 45 sustainable business model patterns. These patterns are repeating solutions observed empirically that address enduring environmental, social, and economic challenges. You can learn more about their work by visiting the website www.sustainablebusiness.design and we'll speak with them about their new book as well as sustainable business model patterns a little later in the episode. to theorize solutions and understand how to implement them, we need to know something more about sustainable business models and the challenges they may face. A sustainable business model describes the organizational design of a business and its activities, which are economically viable, environmentally sustainable and socially just. These businesses often engage stakeholders, create additional non-monetary value like environmental, social or societal value, and they consider a long-term perspective in their business operations. Let's explore some of the general problems that businesses face. First, businesses struggle to even get started, to take their idea and bring it to the market. In research, we say there exists a design implementation gap. There are many frameworks, tools, and other conceptualizations that support the design of business models but there lacks sufficient knowledge to implement business models with a high likelihood of success. In fact, research suggests that 70 to 90% of business model innovations fail. And often this is a result of insufficient knowledge about the context or market that the business operates within. And I think this reflects maybe two problems. Firstly, academic knowledge often provides too little guidance for managers to adapt this knowledge to their context. Secondly, I think that many managers lack the time or resources to understand their context or the time to learn from the experiences of their peers or the knowledge generated in academia. Once again, time is a limiting factor to advance sustainable solutions. Another challenge is that businesses struggle to achieve or remain economically viable. We expect that businesses must make money in order to pay their employees and keep the lights on. But in the current paradigm, Businesses are often expected to make so much money to provide a return on investment to shareholders or investors. Generating enough revenue to do either may be difficult, especially for sustainable business models. 
Now, these challenges are not unique to sustainable business models, but affect businesses more generally. Though sustainable business models face additional challenges too. For example, they face competition from traditional business models with a different economic logic. Traditional business models are often able to compete on price and access to the market, whereas sustainable business models work with their supply chains to lessen the negative impact on employees and the environment. This takes additional time and effort, which may translate to higher costs for the consumer, or products only available in select quantities or particular geographic markets. So even if a consumer wanted to purchase a more sustainable product or service, they simply may not be able to do so. And finally, an important challenge that plagues sustainable business models is the evaluation of their impacts. Are they really more sustainable is a question that comes up often. And this is difficult to answer as a manager wishing to improve aspects of their business model and difficult for a consumer struggling to make buying decisions with reduced impacts. I can tell you, Sophie, that this is a difficult question in research as well, uh, something that my colleagues and I are often uh, working to address. Of course, the methods to evaluate impact are improving. Methods like life cycle assessment, life cycle costing, input output analysis, and material flow analysis. These are just some of the methods used. But it is difficult to model complex systems right within a global supply chain, which includes production, distribution, use, reuse, or recycling, and end-of-life processing. Modeling this complexity requires vast amounts of data, as well as understanding the system dynamics or alternatively requires assumptions in the face of missing data. And it is often difficult to anticipate or model rebound effects. These rebound effects are unanticipated secondary responses that may reduce or even offset the positive effect of any action, or they may reinforce negative responses too. In the absence of an evaluation of every single business model, we can turn to sustainable business model patterns to orient towards those elements of a business model that may contribute to improved sustainability performance. Because patterns are recurring, an evaluation of the environmental or social impact of a business model pattern in one context can tell us something about how to adapt the pattern in a different context, which has the same likelihood to improve sustainability performance. Of course, there are many more detailed and specific challenges that sustainable business models face. And that is the idea behind sustainable business model patterns, to provide business model solutions that address these challenges. are excited to welcome the authors of a new book called Sustainable Business Model Design. Their researchers, colleagues, mentors, even friends. We're excited to welcome Florian Ludekefreund, Henning Breuer, and Lorenzo Massa. Florian is a professor for corporate sustainability at ESCP Business School in Berlin and involved in editing journals and organizing conferences in the field of business models. Henning is a professor for business and media psychology at HMKW Berlin, as well as the founder and director of UX Berlin, which engages in innovation consulting. Finally, Lorenzo is a professor for strategy and business models at Alboy University Business School, as well as the director of Business Design Lab. Super excited to have you. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. 
So no doubt this experience informed much of the uh, the work that you've done on this book. But Florin, I wanted to ask you what brought this team together to write this book. Why why now? Thanks, Stephen. So so maybe I can talk briefly about the history behind the book because I think this also um, helps understanding why we wrote this book and why we wrote this book in, in the way we did, right? Um, so we can find the origins of sustainable business model design in research projects that we conducted many years ago. So one of these projects was um, supported by the Network for Business Sustainability in South Africa, in which we were asked to develop an overview of the sustainability-oriented business models that were known at this time. So this was around eight years ago. One key learning at the time was that the available overviews and classifications of business models were rather eclectic, uh, often very inconsistent and lacking a systematic approach to both identifying patterns and also classifying and representing patterns. So there was a gap and, and we simply decided to work on that gap, trying to fill that gap. And the result of further research was a journal paper which introduced a new taxonomy which presented 45 business model patterns, sustainability-oriented business model patterns. And um, it was published in 2018 together with um, Alexandre Joyce and Sarah Karou. After that, we thought, okay, there's much more potential in this. So we decided, meaning Henning, Lorenzo and I, to write a book in which we present the patterns in a much more accessible and an easy to understand manner. And so in the past three years, we worked a lot on updating the patterns and for the first time fully describing the patterns and this is you know what you find amongst other things in our new book and i think we'll have to circle back exactly to what you mean by patterns florian but i have to say that the the journal article you mentioned very much influenced my own research in sustainable business models and, and patterns um but but also uh i think it's fantastic that you're taking that step forward and communicating uh, these patterns to a wider audience yeah, and for me, who's not a business model researcher myself, I have to say I'm very intrigued with what you've done in this book, and I'm excited to learn more in our conversation today. But I want to take us back to the basically the first pages of your book, where you say that this book is not about sustainability, but for sustainability. Can you please tell us a bit more about what you mean about this, uh, Lorenzo? As a matter of fact, we had in mind couple of things. One is that there is a lot written uh, on sustainability uh, at the level of uh, why it is important, what are some of the challenges that uh, we may be facing as society if we actually don't transition to a more sustainable uh, society, and then also uh, some of the solutions that very much at the system level, uh, they, they point to things such as, you know, really change in the way we organize societies, and sometimes uh, policymaking really at the level of you know, the, the, the global level. So in a way, this is all interesting, but it's a little bit um, not that empowering. Um, what we had in mind is that we wanted to write something that, first of all, focuses on how to do sustainability, uh, which is really, that's, that's where the for comes from as opposed to about, how you can actually make it happen. 
Uh, and second, by focusing on uh, something that is empowering, which is uh, our audiences, um, visionary managers, entrepreneurs, and people that run companies. Uh, we think that the private sector um, is a very interesting source for making that transition. They have a huge innovation potential. Um, the question is, how does the private sector can do that? Um, and so, so we really had in mind, if you want, as a role model, uh, the books that you find in disciplines such as uh, engineering, architecture, and medicine, they really tell you how to design technology, how to design building, how to fix um, you know, human condition and diseases. And so that's perhaps the, the, the explanation of why it's uh, for sustainability and not about. I love this focus on how, and I'm wondering, Henning, how in the book do you do this? How, how, what makes the book special in communicating the how for sustainability? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, sustainable business model design, uh, to my understanding, is still the first and uh, so far only systematic and comprehensive study on sustainable business models and their designs, right? Like uh, Lorenzo said, there are several books that provide theoretical foundations also on the business models. There are several tools out there that help practitioners or students to uh, create their own business models. There are several methods available, right? There are also collections of business model patterns in the literature. But what is, makes our book quite special and new is that it uh, is the first one providing templates for action to those that actually want to create their own sustainable business models or to those that already have a business model or a business model idea and want to make it more sustainable, right? So we're trying to make all this body of knowledge accessible for practitioners. I know that I've purchased my copy of the book and I, and I hope that others will consider doing so because I really appreciate how you tried to make the book tangible for you know entrepreneurs managers designers and otherwise but but since the book is called sustainable business model design what what would you say readers can expect to find in this book florian so it's not just a book about design or in particular sustainable business model design it's also a book that has been designed itself very carefully so it's a comprehensive book it's um, around um, 300 pages but i would say you can look at it from three perspectives. So the first is that we offer an introduction to the notion of sustainable business model design, which includes you know, defining essential concepts like business model, value creation, sustainable value creation, you know, the notion of pattern itself. So in, in, in this first part, we define you know, all the key concepts you, you know, can look up if you like to better understand you know, what's behind, what's the background of sustainable business model design. So the second main element are, of course, the 45 patterns, right? They are grouped in 11 groups, which makes navigating the patterns quite easy. Um, and um, so this is around 200 pages in this book. So it's a full encyclopedia of sustainable business model patterns. Um, every pattern is described on two to three pages, you know, offering case examples, further information. And at, at, at the end of the book, at the very end of the book, a lot of references, right? So the main part is set up in a way that it's inviting, that you really, you know, want to read this book without getting lost in footnotes. So, and then the third element is what, you know, my, my two colleagues already mentioned, it's the how, you know, the how-to of using patterns in innovation, workshops, 
um, and, and projects um, of, of, of different kinds. And this how-to, um, it includes different suggestions, just as having mentioned, of how people can make use of the patterns we are presenting to them. I've been hearing the word patterns a lot. And again, for me, who's not really native to this field, uh, can I please ask uh, you, Henning, to explain a bit more about what the patterns are? They seem both intuitive and abstract. So how would you define or use the patterns? And uh, how may they be useful to designers? Right. So actually, the notion of patterns stems from a design discipline, if you want to consider architecture a design discipline, right? So Christopher Alexander in the 1970s brought this concept uh, into the academic discourse. And he was describing recurrent problems that you find in architecture and proven solutions to these problems. And he took that all the way from interior design to city planning, right? So uh, he's describing all these recurrent challenges and uh, proven solutions to solve them. And yeah, there have been various authors that picked up this kind of approach of describing challenges, solutions, uh, exemplifying those solutions uh, in the field of software design, in the field of human computer interaction. And now we are taking that to the business model level, right? So we are looking for challenges in sustainability-oriented business model design, and we're looking into solutions that various yeah, entrepreneurs, business leaders already came up with and that demonstrated to be actually viable in practice. So if you were to summarize what business model patterns are for our listener in one sentence, what would you say, Florian? A business model pattern is knowledge based on experience, which includes a statement about a challenge that a business model designer wants to address and a suggestion for a solution to the challenge. So what would be some of the challenges then that sustainable business models face that your patterns seek to solve then? Yeah, I think this is um, a very, very important question. But our starting point for every pattern is a sustainability-related challenge. And this includes diverse challenges, like things related to resource consumption. And you know, I don't have to explain this, but obviously we are surrounded by you know, organizations, production processes, lifestyles that overuse our resources. So as a business model designer, you might ask yourself, oh, how can I design a business or improve my business in a way that I tackle this challenge, that I help reducing you know, resource consumption? But we also you know, have patterns in this book which are about you know, social challenges. For example, how to allow people, you know, what you often you know, call maybe fringe stakeholders or neglected stakeholders, how can you help people to have access to products and services, very basic things like, you know, healthcare education that they desperately need, but that they cannot afford if they are confronted with traditional, purely market-oriented business models. So these 11 groups represent you know, diverse challenges related to such ecological and social challenges. And very often these patterns address combined challenges, like for example, how to reduce resource consumption and help a company save costs. So maybe you have already answered this 
slightly, but I would still like you to elaborate a bit more on it. Lorenzo, how can these patterns then represent solutions to many of these challenges? This, this in essence, um, as, you, as you can imagine, very much depends on uh, the situation. So in fact, uh, we have a diverse range of challenges and so solutions are coupled with the challenges. Um, one way to think about it and one way to approach the book is that some of the solutions are really at the group level. So for example, uh, at the group level, we have solutions that involve uh, operating on the pricing and revenue mechanisms that the firm employs. Uh, some of them have to do with closing the loop. Uh, others have to do with uh, intervening on the supply chain. Uh, this is at the group level. Then, of course, the interesting part gets at the level of the pattern itself. And uh, this, of course, is, again, very, very much pattern specific. Um, I'll give an example that I think could help a little bit making the point. Um, a critical challenge that you have of one of the types that Florian described, uh, from a sustainability standpoint, you would love to have product that lasts very long. From a business standpoint, uh, if your business model is tied to sell those products, then you have a problem. If you make product that lasts too long, uh, you may be jeopardizing your ability to sell uh, or things of the type. And then this problem is a very recurrent problem and has several solutions. One solution to this is what we describe in the green razor and blade uh, business model, um, which is basically a sustainability modified version of the more popular razor and blade business model, which is basically the model that has been popularized by Gillette uh, with the razors and the blade, the stance of the idea of unbundling a product in a, let's say, durable and consumable parts, uh, and then selling them um, in, in, in different ways. Lorenzo, I really like this example of the green razor and blade. Maybe for our listeners, can you help elaborate what does unbundling mean when you're speaking about it in relation to this, this pattern and, and from a business model perspective? Uh, yes, the unbundling refers to unbundling an offering. So basically, instead of having a full offer, you, you somewhat use complements, uh, and then you operate the different on the different complements. The idea that our complements is very important because it means that the offering uh, has only value if all the complements are simultaneously together. And so the, the typical example would be a console game with games. Uh, those are compliments because games without consoles, uh, they, they have no value for the customers and similar uh, consoles without games have no value for the customer. Um, and so what you do in unbundling, you basically create modules of your offering, and then you can play with, in this case, making some very long lasting and some a, a recurrent purchase and then, you know, some solve some of the sustainability issues. Perfect. So green razor and blade is one example. Florian, I'm curious, can you share any of the other examples, uh, patterns that you have presented in your book? On a more general level, we identified patterns, which we call overarching patterns, which help you think about kind of major design principles like eco-efficiency, for example. So then we have patterns that describe more comprehensively a more or less complete business model. And then these patterns are called prototypical patterns. And then we have modular patterns as a third type of patterns, which are more specific about, you know, for example, the financing model, the revenue model, product design, more about single elements of a business model. And here's one case in which we can see how patterns can help move towards strong sustainability or net positive. And it's the famous case of interface carpets. Uh, interface in the 1990s started to re-engineer the business model from a product producer to a service provider. 
it was no more about you know selling square meters of carpet, but it was about offering people a covered floor. Of course, this didn't lead to strong sustainability or to net positive contributions, but over time, the company learned how to, for example, combine this result-oriented business model with more sustainable product design, because this business model led to certain incentives, which incentivized Interface to become better and better and better in how to design their products. And nowadays, they are able to offer net positive carpets. You know, and then this all was motivated by this initial prototypical result-oriented business model pattern. Yeah, these are really good examples. And I'm thinking then that something that we have discussed a bit here now is that we need sustainable business models to actually lead to net positive impacts. Uh, Henning, I'm wondering, is there also examples of this where this can be seen? Right. Uh, I think this is an important point that you're raising there because it's not always self-evident if the business models that are described as being sustainable in the literature really lead to this desired impact or whether some unintended consequences come along with it. So, I mean, that was actually an investigation in each of these 45 patterns and the cases that go along with uh, these patterns. So to give you one example, buy one, give one. It's a pattern in which a company donates goods or services to people in need in a fixed ratio to regular sales. For instance, Tom's Shoes is one of the companies that really popularized this approach, right? So for every pair of Tom's Shoes that you buy, they donate a pair of shoes to a child in a developing country. But there were criticism raised, right? Because just donating a pair of shoes does not necessarily address the underlying causes of poverty. It could even harm the local shoe business in the areas where these shoes are being distributed. It could destroy income opportunities, right? So you really have to be very careful what kind of consequences you provoke. And we describe how to deal with that. One way to deal with that may be not to uh, just donate in-kind uh, products and services, but uh, for instance, to support the local infrastructure, provision of clean water, eye surgery and birth care, where some of the strategies that a company like Tom Shoes then pursued themselves. So I think what this example nicely shows is that uh, you really have to pay close attention to the details and uh, to the intended and unintended consequences. I wanted to just add something related to this notion of net positive you know, contributions. So we see a new discourse emerging at the moment, which is exactly about this question. Can we, and if so, how move towards a state in which organizations make net positive sustainability contributions, which means a state in which organizations, for example, you know, give something back to the natural environment more than they take out of it. A state in which organizations you know, help society to flourish, help individuals to flourish instead of you know, overusing them as workers or maybe customers. So, so that's obviously a discourse that's just emerging. And then people ask this question to me, are your patterns you know, following a weak sustainability or a strong sustainability paradigm? 
you know, and then this already implies some assumptions on, on, on the side of the person asking this question. And the main assumption is that the patterns are, you know, just about efficiency improvements. And we all know that efficiency improvements are not enough, you know, to make substantial contributions to sustainability or sustainable development. But as my both colleagues, you know, explained, it has a lot to do with the contexts in which patterns are applied and the way the patterns are applied. I wonder which advice would you have for our listeners, maybe outside of organizations? Uh, say that we are sustainability inclined. What can we as consumers and as citizens do to support sustainable business models? I leave this question open for any one of you who'd like to answer. I think uh, in, in general terms, um, what what you can do is um, perhaps basic, but but meaningful is is to encourage and why not why not perhaps even celebrate companies that commit to the design of uh, more sustainable business models. On the one hand, I think that on social media there's a lot of celebrating success and 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 visibility to success stories. I think that one possibility would be that one of uh, supporting, celebrating success that uh, points towards uh, sustainability. Uh, the second is also to recognize that companies that commit to do that, they commit to something difficult. It's not a joke. Uh, unregulated markets, uh, they're not they're not very good in rewarding companies for social and, and environmental value creation. So that's that's a that, that's a commitment towards a higher ambition. Um, and, and so uh, one form of encouragement uh, would be in, in terms of support, um, again, for the products that they sell and the uh, type of leadership uh, that, that the people that run these companies display. Yeah, I can, I mean, fully agree with what Lorenzo says, right? Uh, look behind the product, look behind the service that you are holding in your hands and uh, try to understand the business model behind it that generates this product or the service, right? And then think about if you can sympathize with that, if you think that's part of the problem or is it part of the solution and then make your buying decision more dependent on that. Yeah, good advice. I mean, I think we're looking a little bit behind the curtain here and inviting the three of you uh, to join the podcast and learn more about the effort that went into the book, as well as some of the content, and no doubt as well celebrating the work that you have done over the years to produce this. Florian, I'm wondering if we piqued listeners' interest, where would our listeners go to learn more about the book, including how to purchase their own copy? So people interested in this book could simply start at www.sustainablebusiness.design. Great. Well, if you are interested, go check out the website. And uh, no doubt we are so grateful to have Florian, Henning, and Lorenzo join us on today's podcast episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. thank Lorenzo, Henning and Florian for joining us. As researchers who also seek to disseminate research to an audience where it may be useful, we support and celebrate their initiative. I especially appreciate their effort to frame the book for sustainability with a focus on how to implement knowledge to advance sustainable solutions. 
It feels too often that I attend events or watch programs that describe the problems and explain why we need to address them, but maybe there is too little focus on the solutions and specifically how these solutions can be implemented. Yeah, I definitely relate to that experience, Sophie. Um, you know, oftentimes when I attend a sustainability-related event, we do spend a lot of time talking or presenting knowledge about the problem and maybe about the solutions, but there's not nearly sufficient time to actually discuss the solutions and how to implement them in practice. And this is really the challenge that we face moving forward in advancing sustainable solutions. Yeah, and maybe it's also a part of academia, how we always need to start from the basics and describing why this is a problem. And maybe that just takes too much time. Um, but, you know, Stephen, this is not really my area of expertise, but I really found the idea of patterns compelling. So I thought to share some of the other patterns that are described in the book, which I think may be helpful for our listeners. For example, additional sustainable business model patterns include crowdfunding, repairing, reusing, two-sided business models, expertise broker, among many others. Right, so the many other examples. And of course, these patterns need to be described in context because they're not always more sustainable. It's important to understand the context where they may be more sustainable. And this context is described in the book that Florian Henning and Lorenzo share with us. This includes describing the challenge, solution, related patterns, and future outlook. But how may we use these patterns? Let's explore a few ways that these patterns may be useful to design business models. First, patterns provide a template to support creativity and experimentation. Imagine a manager being able to select a pattern to design or experiment with. This pattern includes an elaborate description of the problem it addresses, the solution, and the necessary context to adapt and implement the pattern in their specific context. A second way patterns may be useful is to support understanding and communication among a team and its stakeholders. Patterns are meant to create a language, which includes a vocabulary and a structure. This language provides a common framework to discuss problems, solutions, and the necessary guidance to adapt patterns in their respective contexts. A third way to use patterns is in combination with one another to address multiple challenges or leverage synergistic effects. For example, the subscription pattern can be combined with the sharing pattern, where a car sharing company provides access to a shared vehicle for a recurring monthly fee. In this example, the subscription revenue stream may be preferred for the business and the user. The user gets preferred access to a shared vehicle, and the business has a stable revenue stream and a more loyal user. So I may be biased, but I think patterns are awesome. Uh, maybe that's because I've conducted research about uh, business model patterns in the sharing economy. But I think it's important then for you to know that there is a whole body of work describing various patterns in different contexts. This includes in telemedicine, open data, internet of things, artificial intelligence, the circular economy, and of course the sharing economy, as well as many other areas in which business models permeate. With such a body of work to draw upon, managers have much inspiration and I hope much guidance to adapt patterns to their contexts. And as we have identified time as a challenge for sustainable business models, I think patterns can be a way to reduce the amount of time that managers need to experiment and innovate because they represent proven problem-solving combinations, allowing you to adapt the solution to your identified challenge. In their book, Florian, Henning, and Lorenzo present two ways to work with patterns, what they call the problem-solving approach and the generative approach. 
In the problem-solving approach, a team may start with a problem that needs addressing and select the corresponding pattern to adapt to their business model. In the generative approach, the team may use patterns to identify new opportunities. And for those listeners interested in sustainable business models, I can also see consumers using patterns to select businesses to support or avoid. Now a postdoc, I am researching sustainable business models. So this was a fun episode to produce. I am contributing to the Quest project funded by the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency as part of their environmental research program in the areas of society and sustainable consumption. The project seeks to better understand the conditions that enable or constrain sustainable business models in order to provide recommendations to managers and policymakers. And I certainly think that patterns can support managers and policymakers to consider the sustainability performance of different business models. Sophie, what will you take away from today's conversation? I thought today's conversation was really interesting because, you know, this is not really my research area. So I thought it was really interesting to have an opportunity to go a bit deeper into it. And something that I take away that I think might be quite fundamental um, is that solutions to problems may actually be right in front of us found in our own or in our peers' experiences. And I think the business model patterns really reflect this in a great way. And they outline where to look and what to learn and how to improve. For me, who spent a lot of time researching evaluation approaches, I think that this mindset is really useful in many aspects, not only for business models, but for any problem, be it societal, environmental or personal. We can always learn from experiences and experiment with the knowledge and the tools we have in different contexts to find a solution that will take us towards a more sustainable practice. Yeah, so now closing our fourth season, Sophie, I start to see trends in some of the the conversations that we're having, right? And this idea of learning and evaluation or learning from evaluation keeps coming up. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? (laughs) I see it permeating everything. I think it's really there and it has so much potential. Yeah, and certainly then maybe something worth making time for uh, in whatever context that we're working with sustainability solutions. I think it's really important to not just throw away our experiences, but actually capitalize on them, learn from them. Yeah, indeed. And uh, once again, we wish to thank Florian Ludekefoint, Henning Boyo and Lorenzo Massa for joining us on this episode. Now, at the beginning of the episode, I shared that this episode will be the end of our fourth season of the podcast, and I teased some news about our um, new season beginning in September. In the four years since we began Advancing Sustainable Solutions, we have produced 31 episodes with approximately 50,000 listens to be recognized in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. And I have to say that I am incredibly proud of this feat. However, with the end of this season, I will now step away as co-host of the podcast. And... It is with mixed feelings I do so. It has been such a great experience to develop this podcast together with this great team, and I have thrown myself in, deep end, into topics that have been far away from my own area of research. And I have learned so much through this, and through all the conversations we've had with researchers and practitioners from the sustainability field. What a ride it has been, and I am so grateful for it. But... Now it is time to leave the seat open for someone else to enjoy the ride. Someone who can keep on developing this podcast and make it even greater. 
and I am excited to see what comes next. Yeah, well, Sophie, we wish you well. It's been one heck of a ride, and I've certainly enjoyed that ride with you. We've managed to accomplish so much in uh, the four years of the podcast, and certainly you've been a fantastic team member through throughout all of it, and I'm happy to have learned alongside you. Along with Sophie, our production assistant, Franz, is also ending his time with the podcast. So grateful for his time and commitment and contribution behind the scenes over the last two seasons as well. A huge thanks from me and the rest of the team. As for me, I intend to be back next season with a new co-host and a new team in some configuration. We'll bring you new monthly episodes beginning in September. At the IIIE, we remain committed to advancing sustainable solutions as our long-form, highly-produced podcast. However, we want to bring you additional insights from research, events, and people at our institute. So, also beginning in September, we will launch a new podcast collection, which will feature interviews with thought leaders to present the latest thinking about a vast array of sustainability issues. The first mini-series will be on cities, climate, and change, available in early September wherever you listen to podcasts. That's really exciting. Uh, I can't wait to tune in. And who knows, maybe you'll hear me again in another format soon. Maybe I just can't stay away. But for now, I want to thank you, our listeners, for your support and engagement with this podcast. I really enjoy discussing sustainable solutions with you. And I'll be there every month tuning in together with you. So for now, bye. Bye bye.